Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale April 3rd, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Uh, you guys listening can't see it, but Tucker's got himself a little bit of a stash, oh, a yeah. little bit of a soul patch. I almost forgot. Yeah, it's like, I call it the buccaneer, because it's like that kind of uh, swashbuckling thing appropriate for one of my picks of the week maybe this week but uh yeah i've kind of forgotten that it's on my face which is like bad because i feel like i should be heading into social interactions like knowing what people are dealing with you know yeah yesterday i had the agent m plus soul patch today i have the buccaneer who knows where it's gonna go yeah it's yeah. uh <laughs> i mean your choices become fewer and yes, fewer as you true. go along. Uh, so we're recording this uh, a little early, uh, as we do for Marvel's The Pull List, the show where we talk about all the new comics that come out every week, the print issues, the digital stuff, the stuff hitting our apps. But we are recording it two days after C2E2, the convention in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was a great time. And, and Tucker and Triple P, I wanted to tell the two of you in this room that I talked to a lot of fans who love Marvel's The Pullist. Cool. Um, I heard from them, and they really dug it. And uh, a, a number of fans who said that they listened to the show on their way to the comic shop, right. and it helps them understand everything that's coming out. Even if they're not buying everything, they get a sense yeah. of other books, and sometimes they'll pick up other things. So um, it's always fun to to meet the fans who are actually like – listening and checking it out and you yeah, know we'll awesome. hear from everybody all the time but it's great that's so that's so cool all right but we got to talk about the new books out this week first up is age of x-man prisoner x number two written by vita ayala art by herman peralta colors by mike spicer and letters by vc's joe sabino in this book we've got bishop and he is in prison and he's just you know he's just trying to survive it's, uh, it's a weird place. He's seeing things. He's hearing things. He's confused about sort of his past, what is reality. So right. Bishop being, you know, an sort of interesting outlier in the X-Men universe because of his time travel, because of if you look back at Age of Apocalypse and how he was sort of had a weird place in that, that also works here. And the mystery is is coming a little bit clearer. He's interacting with Polaris and she's she's not in a good way. Mm -hmm. And we find out it's kind of because of him, but he doesn't understand that. And so there's mind messing with and there's reality messing with. Also in this issue, you get a really fun throwdown between Beast and Bishop. I love the way Herman draws Beardy uh, Beast. Yeah. Yeah. With like the curly long beard yeah. and like the hair. He looks really cool. Yeah, he has like a almost like a wizardy quality about it, which is appropriate. You know, yeah. he's like the philosopher. He's the like he's you know the smartest guy around. It's really cool. Yeah. One of the characters that keeps showing up that Bishop seems to be the only one to see is Shard, mm -hmm. who is his sister. There's a whole bunch of like when you start getting into X Men stuff, yeah. like then it's like yeah. And at one point she was a hologram, and then another point she was like reality. It was like, <laughs> but she died, and then all this other stuff. Shard is cool. Yeah, I just like Shard totally. My first book this week is The Amazing Spider Man number eighteen dot hu. This is another issue tying directly into the hunted storyline as Craven the Hunter 
and his cronies come after the animal-themed heroes and really characters just at large. Good and Bad of the Marvel Universe is written by Nick Spencer with art by Ken Lashley, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, And this issue focuses all around the gibbon, which I hadn't had much, too much exposure to prior to this. Um, You and most readers. Yeah, I uh, was... Really, really interested as we got into it because there's some fascinating storytelling here between the present and everything that's going down in Central Park, everything that's going down with Craven and these kind of evil sport hunters and things like that, as well as the past and what's gone down between the Gibbon and essentially his story and his previous exposure to Spider-Man. Something that I find really awesome about this Hunted storyline is that it's not just about, like, the villains are coming after the heroes. You know what I mean? It's Craven has is just kind of lost it. He's going out with a bang here, and so he's coming after everyone. Throughout, I, I really want to give a shout-out to Eric Arseniega, the colorist on this book, because a lot of work is done with that in terms of setting the tone for where we are. You can just feel the moonlight kind of over uh, a lot of the scenes that are taking place in the present day, and then you get these, like, these kind of faded tones as we look into the past and we see these different parallels and how they're realized. This was a, this is a heartbreaker. Um, yeah. The Gibbon is definitely low level, yeah. but there was a thing that we talked about at C2E2 on one of the panels, CB Sobolski, our editor in chief, we were talking about advice he got from Ralph Macchio, longtime Marvel comics writer and editor who said, there are no bad characters. Mm-hmm. There are, just bad stories mm. and it, every character is just waiting for the right story yeah. for them to shine and i think gibbon not that he's only had bad stories it's just he's never been a character that pops up and this issue is just like such a spotlight on his tragedy and his his history and like you you are immediately drawn into this the drama of his world and it Nick just twists the knife. Yeah, it yeah. is brutal. And I, you know, we won't say anything about what happens in this issue in particular, but it is one of my favorite issues of the week. I loved it. I thought Ken Lashley crushed it, like really hitting that pathos and yeah. uh, the the heartbreak that you mentioned, and like making it a very moving story about a character very few people care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, up next is Avengers No Road Home number eight. I can't believe we're almost done with this. This is it flew by. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Written by Jim Zub, Mark Wade, and Al Ewing. Art by Carlo Barberi. Colors by Jesus Arbutov. Uh, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This one, you've got Nyx versus Hulk, kind of with Hawkeye and Rocket there. you got a whole bunch of Avengers versus Oasis, that serpentine goddess of misery. But the Oasis fight I like because it's happening in Samaria. Mm-hmm. So you get this neat connection to Conan and especially what Oasis, what she like does to Conan. Yeah. It's real messed up. Yeah. And at one point, the, one of my favorite moments is Conan is like struggling with Oasis, who's this like really weird looking serpent thing. And he bites her face yeah. to like stop her. And it's just like pulling at her body is really weird looking. <laughs> it's so fun. Then you have the Knicks fight, which is happening on Euphoria, which was introduced in the pages of Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike Allred that they point out in the back matter of this issue. Lots of brutal physical and emotional Mm -hmm. stuff in this one. Totally. 
Uh, next up is Captain America number nine. It's by Tanahasi Coates and Adam Kubert with colors by Frank Martin and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, coming off a Nick Spencer book, right into Captain America for me, it you know it's very appropriate because I am a big fan of Secret Empire and the story that told how challenging that was in so many different ways, both for, you know, characters and readers alike. It, it speaks to the power of like an event like that, where it doesn't just go away. We don't just forget it. It exists. It's in the history of, of the Marvel universe. And we still feel the kind of ripples of that in certain ways. And I think Ta-Nehisi is doing really cool stuff with certain uh, interesting elements of that. If you haven't read it, you may be like, yeah, it didn't seem like the right story for me. Right. But at the end of the day, it is a story of like Cap coming back to be the hero, putting down like this um, America, like the difficulties that we go through. Mm -hmm. I thought, like you say, like I think there's something really interesting there past the like where they made Captain America Hydra. Exactly. Yeah, they did, but but there's a whole story to it. Like, you you know, you got to understand the full scope and. What you're saying is it's the story even continues and you have someone like Tanahasi Coates who sees the validity exactly. in that story and is taking it here and really working through it. Yeah, completely. I think that's a, such a great way to put it. I love, you know, Secret Empire only happened a couple years ago or whatever, but like I already want to do like a retrospective on it because <laughs> I think there's so much there to talk about. But I just love the choice to take like the most sacred kind of character and symbol and make a fascinating choice around it because if you're a, a great storyteller there it, nothing is sacred in fact the things that are considered most sacred are exactly what you want to go to the heart of and you want to challenge those things um you want to bend the character exactly because if the character is everything that we believe them to be they bend they don't break exactly they bend so far and they will come back because the core of that character remains strong. Yeah. While we're on the subject, that final issue of Secret Empire, which I think came out right when I started here, mm-hmm. one of my favorite issues of the last few years. Anyway, getting back to Captain America number nine by Coates and Kubert. It, this is a really interesting story because, you know, the the shield essentially has kind of this stain on it still. Cap is doing everything uh, within him to to be the kind of total pure symbol of of everything that so many people want him to be but you know there are all these nefarious forces that are taking advantage of everything that happened in his past to kind of twist and turn him and so he finds himself in jail in this issue and essentially Sharon Carter is trying to help him out Sharon Carter and as well the Daughters of Liberty which is a really cool I think it's so neat it's awesome what a great crew yeah it's too. such it's a great like crew Misty Knight Mockingbird Spider-Woman the Dryad so many more yeah it's awesome I, I that's one of my favorite things about any kind of Tanasi Coates book I think it's a hallmark of his is to have these really amazing teams and supporting characters and cast members. It's something we've absolutely felt in throughout his run on Black Panther and, and something we're building more and more and more with Captain America. So it's just, it's so much fun. Totally. Uh, up next is Champions number four, written by Mr. Jim Zub with art by Steve Cummings. Colors by Marcio Menes and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. You know, we've seen that in this story arc, Miles Morales has made a deal with the devil. We don't know what the full deal is quite yet, but we do get to see Mephisto explaining to his son some details like, yeah, I I didn't need to get his soul. 
I'm making it much worse. I'm going to make this kid suffer. And yeah. he's like twisting him around. And you see Miles is like completely torn apart by this judgment because what he did was he went back in time, thanks to Mephisto, to save Ms. Marvel and to save Viv, save their lives. But in doing so, an innocent girl died. Mm -hmm. And so he is struggling with that, which rightfully so. He's a hero. He doesn't want anyone to die. And his actions have caused, like, he doesn't know, like, she could have cured cancer. She could have been there. She could have done, you know, just lived a long, normal life. Like, there's no way to know at this point. So he's really messed up with that, which sends him down a spiral. And then there's an interaction with Ms. Marvel that's really emotional in here. Very intense. I got to give it up to Steven. Man, his art is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to get better and better each issue. Very tight, really detailed art. Very like emotive faces, impactful storytelling, like good beats, good layouts, all this stuff. The villain that's in here, she's so cool and furious, and Jim mm-hmm. is having a blast writing her. You could you could tell that these two have worked together and have just so much fun. There is to kind of tie this into uh, the 80th anniversary stuff, uh, as this is Marvel's 80th anniversary this year, I'm doing uh, running a, a kind of recurring piece on Marvel.com that kind of looks at some modern-day ongoing series or teams, things like that, and says, here are the parallels between this group and the tone of the book and the, the spirit of it and books that uh, have taken place in Marvel history. And since this month we're focusing on the 1960s, there's a great piece on Marvel.com, which you can read right now, which is about how the champions are kind of interestingly evocative of early Avengers, uh, which is really cool. And it's really fun to, to dive into uh, all that history. It's really great stuff. But right now we have my first pick of the week, and that is Conan the Barbarian number five. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Tucker, for those who may be just joining us on that first episode of Marvel's The Pullist, what did that bell mean? That bell means it's my pick of the week. Ryan and I each pick two, and this is my first one because this is like... Conan, Pirates of the Caribbean. So dang good. (laughs) It's awesome. Mahmoud Asrar has like, every issue is just better and better and better. Like, it's just mind-blowing stuff. I remember reading something recently with some interview with a filmmaker who who was talking, oh, you know who it was? And I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. It's Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, He said that, this, Director of your favorite movie? Uh, one, you know, one of in recent years. Th- what he said is that kind of capturing a sense of adventure is like one of the hardest things to do in storytelling because you don't know what it is. Like, what is that thing? It's hard to define, so it's hard to just do. And that's something that I've kind of really felt in this one because, but it's a unique brand of adventure because it's not just like fun swashbuckling Pirates of the Caribbean fun. I mentioned that because Conan is on a ship in the middle of the ocean, stranded in the middle of the ocean, dealing with pirates, dealing with all kind of giant monsters. Love this page right here. Amazing, super energetic uh, splash page with Conan heaving his sword down, cleaving a kind of giant... Magic tentacle Yeah, monster. like huge octopusy thing. Awesome. So cool. And this issue doesn't have much dialogue at all. I think there are only a few, you know, kind of white balloons throughout. Most of it is done with narration and action. 
just awesome action and, and, and visual storytelling. Sometimes we see stories that are no narration at all, no dialogue at all. It's just the art. But uh, to see something like that where it, you kind of do have this removed element of the story and this kind of storyteller side of it, which just adds to the epic quality, adds to this kind of, like I said, this kind of storybook quality of it, which is just so much fun. And we also have a bit of the prose novel in here, Black Starlight Part 5 by John C. Hawking, which is also just so awesome. It's a 12-part story. He read some really cool, like, gross slug, like these monsters that are flying, and they're mm-hmm. oh, the way he describes them, it's... Ugh, they're vicious. Totally. Yeah. It, 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 again, it, it has that same epic, awesome quality. Yeah. Just every issue, so much fun. Such a rich, deep, lively adventure all the way through. So good. Yeah. All right. Up next, we have Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History, number two, written by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti, art by Todd Nock, colors by Antonio Fabella. And letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Got to give a big shout out to Marcos Martin with one of the coolest variant covers this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we get to see all the covers, I'm just like so excited to see all the cool variants and get into them. Uh, so the remit for this series, Cosmic Ghost Rider has sort of been left to live forever. Mm-hmm. And he's going through history until he sort of catches up. So at this point, he's been around millions of years (laughs) he's very old and he's lived on earth now for you know just a while just hanging out and so him being frank castle at his core he is now up to the point right before when his family is about to be killed right so he goes to visit his family pretends to be his uncle fredo which is actually a real character Mm -hmm. and so he goes there he's he's interacting with his family in a way that he never could when he was regular old Frank Castle, yeah. you know, he's sort of been through so much that he's been broken and put back together and broken and put back together. And now he's in a state where he can kind of relate to people. Mm-hmm. And this issue is uh, Spider-Man uh, specific, where you see how Cosmic Ghost Rider got involved in various Spider-Man stories, whether it is a great one where... Uh, Spider-Man is fighting Venom or another one like the beginnings of Mm Spider-Man's life uh, and his career with the Spider-Man No More story. A a story that I had read recently, uh, the Spider-Man part of the J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. run, Mm -hmm. there's an issue where Peter and MJ sort of reconnect after kind of separating for a bit and it has Doctor Doom in it. It's a an actual issue in the, the plot here. All the moments here are real. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun to see them, Nick and Paul and Todd, place Ghost Rider in these moments and how they have fun with it. Nice. Uh, next up is Deadpool number 11. It's written by Scotty Young with art by Scott Hepburn, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by Jeff Eckleberry. This one is kind of like the... Um, like the evil twin of Amazing Spider-Man 18.hu in a way, because this one also, I mean, we've been having this throwdown between this character called Goodnight, which is an awesome uh, villain name, who was kind of chasing Deadpool around and has found him here. And we dive into the character's backstory uh, in a lot of very personal, interesting ways. And we 
get to go on that ride and see that it has been quite a ride yeah. for this character. Like crazy far reaches of the Marvel Universe. Really, really interesting stuff. And as we kind of jump back between uh, the past and the present, uh, really, really cool. You know, like I like I was saying, in a similar way to what we saw with the Given this week, but in a way that is just like it's less like the kind of personal turmoil and trauma and like kind of personal story of the Gibbon and like how almost the Gibbon's back backstory mirrored kind of Peter Parker's in an interesting way. Mm. This is like the most blow it up, crazy, awesome, still has a lot of that emotion and, and, and depth to it. But uh, like big, of course, like Scotty Young, Deadpool way as we flash back to the present. Uh, really, really, really fun stuff. And um, yeah, good night. Yeah. Big fan. Interesting twist, too. Yeah. Uh, when you get a, a revelation in there. Uh, up next, we have Domino Hot Shots number two, written by Gail Simone, art by David Baldion, with colors by Jim Charlampitas, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one is a big Deadpool versus this whole Hot Shots crew. Uh, it's a big throwdown in here. And one of the things I really love is Gail wrote Deadpool for a little while. And so she gets Wade very, very well. And she also gets Domino very, very well. And she, Domino and Deadpool have a lot of history. So the way that she like plays it really shines Deadpool in this mm-hmm. issue. Like she talks about him and being like, oh yeah, everybody looks at him as the, the goofball. But, you know, at a certain point you push Deadpool too far you are almost assuredly dead. He is a very dangerous person. He masks it. He's in a lot of pain. Like She understands who he is at his core. And so you get a lot of that within the pages of this while you're also getting all this cool teen drama. There is a double-page spread in here as well because there's this whole plot with the Celestials and big gnarly stuff. And like this double-page spread... by David and Jim is just the coolest. It's awesome. Mega, super-sized, celestial glory. I love it as someone who uh, lives and breathes Jack Kirby's art. I just think this is one of the finest, like, tributes to it that we will have. Awesome. Next up, we have Immortal Hulk number 16. Oh, yeah. It's my first pick of the week. Come on. Uh, I... Just want to say, the credits page for this series is always on the last page. It's really cool. I'm looking at, I like open this book to the last page to read the credits. I'm literally sitting here getting goosebumps. Just looking at it. I read this on the plane and I went, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I am like, it is just that cool. It's written by Al Ewing with pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Yeah. Oh, man. This book. It's still like it continues to be so incredible. Yeah. We've got this sort of this mystery of like what's going on with all the gamma people because, you know, Immortal Hulk, that's the title of the book. So we know Hulk has died and he's come back. And and so over the course of this year plus, we've then starting we're starting to see like, okay, what about the other people who have been Hulk? What's their deal? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Betty Ross and she we saw in a previous issue. Spoilers ahead if you, you know, miss that. She got shot, mm-hmm. but like in the head, and then she got up and walked away. Yeah. So what does that mean for her? Where <laughs> what is cause she was the red She Hulk. What happened to her? What mm-hmm. what is that going on? 
Doc Samson. He has got he got his powers from gamma radiation and, and all that stuff. He died and he's back. What happened to him? Rick Jones is sort of the big driving force right now. Is like, where is Rick's body? Rick died. What's going on? We don't know. So there's all the kind of cool mystery with the shadow-based crew. Like, they're ones who are hunting and experimenting with and on uh, Hulk. So there's all kinds of neat stuff going on there. I wish. I re- uh, Like, I was reading this, and there's reference to Rick Jones's autobiography in here. <laughs> sidekick. Mm-hmm. Or sidekicks. I can't remember. I don't know if that was ever actually written. I would love someone to write that yeah. as if it was Rick Jones writing his autobiography <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. I want to read that. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, That awesome. would be super cool. Really fun stuff with Leonard, Doc Samson, and Hulk in here. They fight these really cool monsters, these gammaed up monsters. Of course, Joe Bennett unleashed as he is. Like you have open there, these two pages where the panel layouts are kind of like off kilter mm-hmm. and they're real weird. It gives you that sense of unease that you need in this book because it is a horror book mixed with super heroics or super characters. There's also this really cool double page spread with Hulk going after these creatures. He's fighting these gamma monsters. And at one point he like grabs one of the monsters by its mouth, like yeah. the top and the bottom in each of his hands and he just pulls. Yeah. And I just went, it's so messed up. It's so good. This feels like it's going down as one of our like classic all-time best series totally oh man the best uh up next is a new one it is major x number one written and penciled by rob liefeld with inks by rob adelso corona and dan fraga with colors by romulo farhardo and letters by vc's joe sabino and it is my second pick of the week oh yeah this has been a character that rob has had in mind for literally decades going back to the early 90s when you know he was kind of at his height at the house of ideas just creating iconic character after iconic character obviously a a legend in the pantheon of of x-men creators to have that and to know exactly where this story takes off, takes place, there's a time jumping element to it. Something I always really appreciate is just like the succinctness of story and storytelling, just the, the ability to, in as little words or imagery as possible, tell a great story. The popular concept of that in recent years would be like the opening to up and like, boom, in 10 minutes, like you're on the floor crying. Exactly. So any kind of origin story, any story where it's the first issue, you're introducing characters, you're introducing an audience to a new character, things like that. I love seeing how that's done. Yeah. I mean, this issue reading it felt like it could just be dropped into the early New Mutants or, exactly. or late New Mutants, early X-Force yeah. days, like really easily, like whoop, drop yeah. it right there. Yeah. Next up is Marvel Superhero Adventures, Spider-Man Web Designers, number one. It's another great young audience book. Uh, and it includes a bunch of different features, including a story called Don't Get Mad, part one. That's by Shelley Fish, Mario Del Panino, and Jim Campbell. We have the Daily Bugle Funnies, by Ty Templeton and Kieran Smith. We have Don't Get Mad Part 2. Then we have Galaxy Spanning Nova Maze, which is a fun little uh, maze that you play. That's by Owen McCarran. And then we have Interview with Web Developer. And then we have Ghost Spider on the Prowl with art 
by Scotty Young. You know, like I never get tired of reading these, jumping into these, especially because we read so much every single week. And this is just such a nice little palate cleanser, nice little taste. I mean, you come off books like Immortal Hulk and, and Major X and stuff where it's like, whoo, Amazing Spider-Man hunted. And you're just like, okay, man, like it could be you're running a marathon in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, we get a great little story like this where it's um, just delightful. We get cute Thanos, uh, which is... Uh, Are you saying he's not normally cute? <laughs> the, is a look, cutie patootie. We know that the internet would disagree with me on that one. Yeah, um, yeah just uh, the best stuff. So much fun uh, all the way through. Heck, yeah. All right, up next is a big number one this week. Marvel team-up number one, written by Eve L. Ewing, art by Joey Vasquez, colors by Philippe Sobrero, and letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one's really cool. We had Eve L. Ewing on uh, the Women of Marvel panel at C2E2, and she was talking a little bit about this book and that you can flip this and read – you have to flip it and read it from either direction, but you can read – either part of the story first. It's got sort of, it's driven in two halves because we have a team up here between Ms. Marvel and Spider-Man. And so you could read the Ms. Marvel portion first. You could read the Spider-Man portion first. Either way, you're getting to the same moment, but you're seeing it from different perspectives Mm -hmm. and different lead-up experiences. There's a uh, sort of a celebration for a scientist in this world. And so... Ms. Marvel is going with Bruno, and, you know, Bruno's super excited. He's, like, super science nerd, and he's like, yeah, woo, I love her. She's yeah. great. Like, this, you know, the scientist, she's created all this cool stuff. She creates this, this piece of technology that can kind of download your brain as a backup copy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is really neat in that the use case that she envisions it for is with people who suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia and being able to help find those things that they have lost. And then you flip it around, you have Spider-Man, and Peter Parker is actually introducing the scientist and his relationship with her and seeing this. And, of course, supervillains come in and all kinds of action. And it's it's a really fun story, great way to kick this book off. Joey Vasquez, young talent, uh, he's crushing it here, so good. And there's just, like, fun splashes and fun big action and, like, big explosion, and especially when you look at, like, when you flip it around upside down and it yeah. works both ways, it's like really great, clever storytelling. Yeah, totally loved it. Next up, we have The Punisher, number 10. And this is by Matthew Rosenberg as the writer with art by Simon Kudransky, colors by Antonio Fabella and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This is The War in Begalia, part five. Reading this was really fun because I feel like the first few parts of war, this War in Begalia arc have just been about beating frank down he was like in solitary confinement for like three four months or something like and now the kind of later half of this arc is about like that is like kind of the wind up and like this is like you're kind of letting that spring go you know you're just letting it out of the cage now quite literally because this like this is just all about frank going ham on on these guys and it it is so much fun to seeing these little moments that matt weaves in here of these little interactions these things like that where that just contrast beautifully with the crazy over the top frank is driving a tank kind of action and just coming after these guys all guns blazing is so fun one of the the things i love about simon kudransky's art here is that 
he does some interesting stuff with the panel borders. Yeah. In a lot of like the quiet, calm moments, the panel borders are normal. They are completely clean lines, sort of giving you just normal breakdowns of, of the panels. But then when, when the action starts or when the tension's high, they get really scratchy and they get a little different. And they, they really like – it's a subtle thing to make you uneasy, yeah. to throw you off and to really like get you involved in the, the chaos that yeah. is a Punisher story. Yeah, totally. I, I love those little details because probably most readers won't stop to like actually – note that difference like consciously but that's not the point the yeah point is, no it's like, not a conscious kind of, thing it's yeah, a it's... subconscious thing that like influences the way your eye moves mm-hmm. and the, just the tone of the page as you're taking it in as a whole you know never never ever ever tire of matt just coming up with just the craziest most metal action around yeah uh and you know matt said that he listens to only one song when he writes the punisher huh. it's that uh let the bodies hit the floor yeah. song. he just listens to it over and over again when he writes punisher and that's just that's that just makes his life too much sense yeah yeah all right up next is spider gwen ghost spider number seven uh, it's written by shauna mcguire art by takeshi miyazawa colors by ian herring and letters by vcs clayton cowles i i love what shauna does because she has so many different ebbs and flows for mm-hmm. what Gwen goes through. And like, first it starts up, Gwen's going on a date night and she's all happy and she's like gussied up and she's ready to go out for this date with Harry and it's going great. And Harry's awesome and he's really sweet. And Gwen is, you know, kind of nervous and then she's, it's tough for her because she's never really had the ability to have this life that she wants. Mm-hmm. And then it gets really weird and messed up and she's dealing with that. And it's like emotional roller coaster. There's a wonderful two panel sequence here where Gwen is answering a call. She's basically put out this thing where she says, you know what? If you need some help with something, you can hire me. She's not doing it for like her heroing, but like yeah, a little something that you can't get done that requires someone who has abilities of a spider person. Mm-hmm. Maybe she can help. So she goes to answer and she knocks on the door, blah, blah, blah. And she's waiting for the guy to come. And there's a little cat waiting outside and the cat's just like on the side. And she's like, Standing there, one panel silently. Next panel, she just does a little scratch, scratch, scratch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a simple little thing, but I absolutely adore it. That's a very Seanan thing there. Yeah. It makes me so happy. Uh, and there's one of my favorite splash pages of the week is in this book where Gwen is trying to save people who are in like this giant car crash and she's like saved them and things are blowing up and it's like behind her and just the level of action and intensity and heroism. And it's Man, this book is so good. Yeah. Next up for me is Solo, a Star Wars story adaptation, part seven. This is the last issue of the solo adaptations written by Robbie Thompson with art by Will Sliney, colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We pick up this story in the immediate aftermath of Beckett's betrayal of Han and Dryden Voss, where there is this showdown happening. And we get a really interesting moment with uh, none other than Mr. Maul himself. There he is in beautiful holographic form. Very interesting moment to behold for me for the first time when I was in that movie theater down Battery Park in New York City watching it with my little bro. I was trying. I was trying to find a good joke to make about like a mall. Yeah, M A L L. You uh, know what? Interesting point because. <laughs> The movie theater that I saw this in is kind of attached to Brookfield Place, 
which is downtown that over there, and that uh, it's kind of like a mall. Scintillating. <laughs> the two of us, we are Ooh, crushing good it today. podcasting. Um, and then we take this story through through the end of the movie. It's really really interesting. Uh, I I wanted to ask because I yeah. it's been a while since I saw the movie. There's uh, a sequence here. Yeah. Was this in the film? Uh, no. There's like yeah, actually, there's cool stuff in here yeah. where Chewie and Han like being Chewie and Han and going yeah. and doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really interesting um, element about this. Just seeing the kind of like denouement part of this story that's right before we go into the poker game or the sabak game, I should say. Sorry. And uh, yeah. Great stuff. Great work from Robbie and Will and company. Uh, if you're into Star Wars comics and Will Sliney, then uh, go ahead and check out Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Coming soon. I hung out a lot with uh, both Robbie and Will this past weekend at C2E2. I don't get to spend a lot of time with Will because he is based in Ireland and everything. He's not always over here. But at one point we were going out to dinner and Will was like two minutes late because he had to do some revisions on <laughs> Star Wars page. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I had to get it done. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Lucasfilm people, they were getting on me. I had to get it. Uh, and he's just, you know, the sweetest, most apologetic, wonderful <laughs> dude, and an amazing artist, and I adore Will Sliney. All right. Up next, we have another Star Wars book. It is Star Wars number 64, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Angel Unzueta, colors by Guru Effects, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This issue, I think, is an issue where it uh, really shines on the shapeshifter Tonga mm-hmm. uh, in here, who has to... He has to play the part for a number of different people. So, you know, he changes his shape and his personality and all this other stuff. But he's just, like, hamming it up. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that Kieran is just having a blast writing the character, being silly and being over the top and, you know, being very theatrical and dramatic and, like, having fun with it. And then you have 3PO, who is eating it up as well like 3PO just be like oh my god you were so good you're yeah, so yeah. great I, I'm having the best time it's like the two of like, them like, of course he's like a theater geek yeah it makes of perfect course. sense yeah. I want more stories of the two of them yeah. like I want them <laughs> on adventures and like going out and seeing shows and just having the best time but it's all part of the rebellion particularly Leia and her small crew trying to get back at Shoturan for betraying them but also you know like further the rebellion but like really it's a revenge story Story. Yeah, and it is delicious revenge for Leia. Really, I dug the crap out of this one. It's one of my favorites. Totally. Next up, last issue for me is Uncanny X-Men number 15. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. A f- couple issues ago, how many issues ago was it when we saw all Slim's list? There's a few two, issues. Two, two, or two, two or three issues ago, we saw... Scott Summers had a list of threats to mutant kind that need to be addressed. And we're seeing that storyline flow out in really, really interesting ways. There's an awesome moment right at the top of this story where Wolverine and Scott and the crew are hanging out. And uh, who shows up in this this storyline? Maybe you wouldn't expect it. Maybe you would. It's old Steve Rogers. And he kind of just, he, he knows that they're in a tough situation. And he, you know, offers a, a helping hand. Every single issue of Matt Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men I read, I'm just like delighted and so happy and, and just having such a great time. And uh, yeah, this one was no different. 
Yeah. I just love hope in this book. Yeah. I think Matt writes a great hope. I hope he gets I hope he gets the <laughs> chance once more. Uh all right. Last book of the week, and it is my Second pick of the week. Oh, boy. This is the thunder here. It is War of the Realms. Number one. Oh, my gosh. It's been, I feel like I've been waiting. We've been counting down. For so long. It is written by Jason Aaron. Art by Russell Dodderman. Colors by Matthew Wilson. Letters by Joe Sabino. Man, I don't even know where to start with this. Because we've been talking about War of the Realms for a while. Of course, Jason has been building the path to this in all his books, whether it's Thor or Avengers or wherever, over years and years. And so now we're here. This issue actually reminded me a bit of the beginning of the original Infinity Gauntlet story. Mm. Because in the original Infinity Gauntlet, you open up with Thanos and Mephisto. Thanos already has the gauntlet at that point. Mephisto is with him. He is figuring out what to do. And... Snap is like, I don't know, halfway through the first issue. Mm -hmm. And like then things go wild and you get a lot of vignettes of different heroes being affected by the action. And so I think about this issue and this story in we've seen Malekith building his forces over time, you know, in the in with Infinity Gauntlet, we we had the Thanos quest, we had uh, Silver Surfer stories that were building Thanos back up, building Thanos's power base, getting him the stones, making him take down the Silver Surfer. Here, you've we've seen Malekith going and getting his generals, taking over nine of the realms, leading up to here this issue where they make the their assault on Midgard because this is the last realm standing. Earth is all that's left to oppose Malekith and his terrible generals. The War of the Realms is finally, finally upon Earth, and this is the opening salvo. So you get to see Odin having to deal with, one, his own jerkishness because he's driven everybody away. Nobody wants to hang out with Odin but his ravens, Mm -hmm. and so he's alone in the ruins of Asgard. You know, assassins fall upon him. Thor, we see him sort of figuring out what to do, and... Loki shows up and then assassins show up and, you know, Thor is very quickly taken off the board. Mm-hmm. Odin taken off the board. This is a very strategic, amazing assault by Malekith. So we get to see all that, but it's much more than just Thor and Odin. It is the entire Marvel Universe getting thrust into a cataclysmic war. And it is gorgeous. I'm looking at a double page spread by Russell and Matthew that is just incredible as frost giants flaming murder bugs yeah. and trolls and light elves and all these creatures are in new york city where mm. they shouldn't be <laughs> they have no right to be there they don't have the permits new york is all about permits yeah. believe me yeah. they should not be here but here they are you've got the angels of heaven and all these characters these creatures just destroying stuff they're going through new york city and in these pages you see Daredevil shows up. You see um, Wolverine sort of drinking at a bar, and he's like, ugh, I got to get involved in this. And then, of course, this wonderful image that we've, you know, we shared out a while ago 
of Malekith and his generals. You've got Malekith riding oh, like a white tiger that has wings. And you've got the Queen of Heaven behind him. You've got the Queen of Cinders next to him. You've got Dario Agar, who is the CEO of Roxxon, who turns into a giant minotaur. You have Curse, who is just this messed up big uh, force of evil. And, of course, Ulick, the King of the Trolls. And they, you, you then flip the page and you've got an Avengers Assemble moment. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because it's the Avengers current lineup plus Spider-Man plus Freya plus Sif plus Thori the Helldog plus Brunhild. And it's a great moment. It's got Cap saying, Avengers Assemble. And then Freya's like, for Midgard. And then Spider-Man's like, New York is for lovers. Yeah. Because he's just like probably pooping his pants because yeah. it's terrifying. But he's there. He's up front. You see Loki has a... Huge sequence in this issue. There's a moment in here with Loki that reminds me of a really th- a thing I love in filmmaking. You know, you've got all this action, and then it just sort of goes quiet, mm-hmm. and you get this up-close look at a, a someone's face. And it's like that Lord of the Rings that, like, fly, you fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that <laughs> moment. Yeah. Uh, and you get this, like, Loki moment where he's arguing with his father, he's arguing with his mother, you know, it's just like... The look on his face is such perfect comic book work by Russell and Matt here in the dialogue. And uh, you're like your heart breaks. And then you flip the page. And again, you're like, what is happening? You know, there's a giant, terrifying moment. And everything is going wrong for the heroes. This is the fall of Midgard. And it is gorgeous and fun and big and epic and everything we could have hoped for. Yeah, I mean, there's so much so much to talk about with this but uh, my biggest takeaway um was just literally taking in every single page and being like oh i missed this i missed this so much i missed aaron dotterman wilson together telling stories since you know mighty thor uh which is you know one of my all-time favorite series and 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 so having them together again having them tell this huge story uh and being able to see a Dowderman Wilson Spider-Man or a Daredevil or, you know, it's just awesome. It's so much fun. Uh, And there's like, you know, exactly like you said, there's oceans to talk about with this, but such a cool, such a massive explosion of a first issue. It's a six issue series. You're going to get the same creative team on every issue of this big event. A couple of fun things to point out before we go into the collections. We have a theme song for War of the Realms. Which y'all can hear if you subscribe to This Week in Marvel, or you can go to marvel.com slash War of the Realms to hear the theme song that I helped produce with Ron Richards and Jason Aaron, basically going to my friend Jimmy Yaron, who is one of the uh, amazing musicians. He is in a band called Mindless Self-Indulgence. He was one of the Ravagers in Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And um, I was like, Jimmy, here's what we're thinking. <laughs> Can you make this? And he made it. And it's so epic. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. I love War of the Realms so much, you yeah. guys. I'm so hopeful you join us for the entire ride. Yeah, it's really, really, really awesome stuff. So much going on at the House of Ideas right now, including collections on sale this week, which include Avengers Assemble, Living Legends, Avengers World, The Complete Collection, Conan Chronicles, Epic Collection, The Heart of Yag Koshaw. Marvel's Avengers Endgame Prelude, Spidey Freshman Year. Spidey Freshman Year, I think, is the Robbie Thompson Mm. Spider-Man book, which is all ages. It's really, really good. 
Nice. We also have The Unstoppable Wasp, G-I-R-L. That's Girl Power, Black Panther by Reginald Hudlin, The Complete Collection, Volumes 1 through 3, Nova by Abnett and Lanning, The Complete Collection, Volume 1 and 2. And uh, so much stuff on our uh, Marvel Unlimited app this week. Of course, a lot of like stuff that's more recent, but we've got some 70s Doctor Strange in there, which is really neat. A 1997 Doctor Strange book, which has one of my favorite titles. It's Doctor Strange. What is it that disturbs you, Stephen? That's great. It's so creepy. So weird. I love that. Issue three of the uh, first Jessica Jones digital series, which is incredible. I hope you you check that out. And so much more. We'll have the list on Marvel.com with the episode. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Big week. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Oh, next week, our video version is going to be really something interesting and different and special. So stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. But until then, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.